I'm here with Ani Simon-Kennedy on the eve of her film's release, which is insane. First of all, it's cool to talk to you like it's four o'clock where or it's five o'clock where you are. Yeah, it's the end of your day and your movie comes out tomorrow. How do you feel right now? Uh, it's wild. It's coming out in drive-ins. That's which, so cool. It's <laughs> uh, awesome and feels very appropriate specifically for, for the film, this yeah. movie. People um, could do van parties. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, not at all, you know, what we had planned originally, but the world had other <laughs> ideas in store for us. Uh, so, so yeah, so that's, that's what's happening. Um, yeah, never thought I'd be releasing this movie, you know, in a pandemic during yeah. a revolution, you know, while the film industry and every is reinventing itself like every just, five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, so yeah, so in a lot of ways, it's, you know, when we shot this movie two years ago, and uh, it was a very different world, but a lot of the ideas and, and themes that I was thinking about have like truly metastasized right now in a lot I think of ways. even more, it, it feels like a movie that from the future at this point, you know, <laughs> like the end of your film, I'm not gonna, not gonna spoil anything, but the end of your film feels like something that it, it just feels like a set. Someone put the camera down and like, this is what people are doing now. Like literally like that shot is like what the world is going to look like right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I don't think you're wrong. And it's been extra trippy because my, the, so short history of the longer is my second feature. My first feature, uh, Days of Grey was this Icelandic movie that came out, um, in 2013. Uh, that was a sort of post-apocalyptic, like dystopian movie um, that took place in a world where everybody had to wear a mask when they left the house and had to <laughs> wash their hands when they came back in. Um, sounds, and, sounds crazy. No. <laughs> and it's had a real resurgence. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, basically. Iceland feels like the, the spot. <laughs> it feels like the place to, to spend, you know, the, the next, the, like the new world, like Iceland sounds really perfect. To, to go out there yeah they they know what's up and shooting yeah. there's like the best uh just the best that and i mean new mexico where we shot short history was right up there um but yeah no iceland's wonderful i miss it a lot especially i'm not a summer no. person the, the oh, second yeah. it starts to get toasty in new york i'm like oh right there's this What's gonna country. so you're so you're in Brooklyn right now, and there's gonna about to be like a new major major crisis with New Yorkers who are inside during the humid summer using their air conditioners <laughs> and like the electricity in New York City is going to like what's it's it's insane. Uh, yeah, that hadn't even crossed my mind, but you are totally right, and <laughs> yeah, every every day is. Just People are going to have air conditioners on 24-7 and Con Ed is just not equipped for that. Like, Yeah, the grid is not going to make it. No way. That's like I've been for... blacked out in the West Village. It's happened. It's, it's very rare, but like it has happened. It's, it's, it, they're, they're, we're capable of pushing it too far. 
and if regular times have been we're gonna have just like no one's in their offices no one's it's gonna be every individual has their own air conditioner that's like its own dystopia yeah no that's right if if nothing else gets to us first it'll be that but it's like how's your how's your environment cause doing today (laughs) you know are you willing to sit with you know a hand fan for the environment like (laughs) i don't know yeah we just got uh or just a couple months ago got an ac unit because we're in the basement apartment and so we have bars on the window so we can't install we haven't Uh, had ac um and then we just got it and uh timing could not have been better yeah good i had one summer i lived in chelsea and one summer where i was just like it was when i was i was yeah okay this was why i was like so when I was really young, I just made films like like high school, college and like my early 20s. And then I started DJing and then like I turned into kind of like an adult, not not a real adult, but just like I had, you know, I could pay for dinner and stuff like that. But when I was just doing films, money, like I didn't have it because I would just use it for like if I had a dollar, it would go into a film and that was it. So I had an apartment in Chelsea, top floor windows on every side and a tiny apartment, like a little box. And I didn't have an air conditioner and I never bought, I wouldn't buy it because like if I had $350, I was using that on one of my films, you know? And just every single time I was like in pain, I was, I would just somehow convince myself not to. And I spent one summer with no AC. This is our first summer was... with AC. I've been in New York for 15 years. Oh, wow. And this is like, a major upgrade but i also grew up in france where there just isn't ac yeah, anywhere right and so i'm like i'm cold like i like bring a sweater on the subway also <laughs> the subway a distant memory yeah i haven't been on a subway in a long time i don't know if i don't know what it's going to be like next are, are people so are people like now it's all changed because of the protests and stuff are people just like fuck it like we're no. just doing now people are still being protective no people i mean even you know we were protesting like every day this you know when it first started um for a solid week and just every single person's wearing a mask and the protests have been so organized and i mean awesome. truly like every block there's volunteers with masks and hand sanitizer and water and sandwiches and snacks and sunscreen and it's honestly it's been like a super powerful like really really incredibly moving um you know revolution to witness of just you know people really caring about each other people really caring for each other and um and the only people not wearing masks are the cops yeah that's so weird. And like, and Donald Trump, when he goes to a mask factory, like (laughs) it's such a weird time. Okay. Well, but I want to talk more about like, so, so just like your state of mind right now, like releasing a film right now, there's so much, I saw the post you guys put up. Like, I just, I, 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 I have like, you know, specific questions and stuff, but like, I almost just kind of want to be like, how are mind right now? Like, what was your morning? You know, what's your day been like? Am I cutting out? 
Oh no, it's my headphones that are losing juice. Um, what like, this is, is just such a major moment. Right yeah, it's such a major moment you know, for you, and there's so much going on. Just like, how do you feel? Yeah, <laughs> it feels good to finally have this movie out in the world in whatever shape or form this will take. Like, it I feel like in, in a, lot a year ago in Tribeca Film Festival, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So, so it, we premiered. Um, you know, basically a year ago around this time. And then I've just spent the last year traveling to film festivals and, you know, really have just been on the road. And, you know, when the pandemic hit, I was in, um, I was at a festival in Luxembourg. I was in Europe and, oh, you wow. know, they, they you know, scrambled to get me back and, you know, changed my flight. Um, so yeah no it's it's the the whiplash is real and i feel like you know there's a part of me that on one hand you know has these moments of like in a parallel universe like none of this happens like you're, like you're the, at like 12th and 2nd street like like you know whatever uh, the you're at Cinema Village or Village East or something like that, doing a party for the movie and like, yeah. Yeah, but that, I, I mean, in a way, because it's been, you know, three months at this point, it's like this, there's been the time to settle into like, this is our world now and this is reality and it's not, yeah. um, there isn't the same sort of like nostalgia. And even that, that feeling of like, you know, when are we going to get back to normal? Like, you know, like feeling like you're like a, kid in the backseat of car be like are we there yet are we there yet like that's um totally evolved you know We've and now we're just, up effectively yeah to to change yeah and in a way it sort of feels like there were so many things that were so broken that are so broken on so many levels whether it's you know th like the film industry in and of itself like you know was was it ever good for anybody to be working 12 to 14 hour days a week to like you know our private healthcare system that well like, i worked on law and order us. as my first job i did 16 hour days every day that was normal oh, i mean it's 16 hour and like the fact days. that that yeah. was sort of HBO like you would do 18 hour the norm. Days. yeah no and it's and so i think there's a lot of things you know down to literally like the entire like global system of capitalism that is like I, the fact that everything is being called into question and is potentially you know on the brink of changing in a real way for a some measure of like a lasting future feels really mm -hmm. um hopeful and exciting and who who's to say you know what the future holds but um yeah it's been a real roller coaster of emotions to say the least and then you know releasing a movie in general especially an independent movie it's like there's so much of this facade of like you know getting into the right festivals getting mm -hmm. a distributor getting it in theaters and all you know getting you know the trades to review you and all of these things that are so sort of insider baseball-y yeah. um and you know we're going to be able to have a worldwide premiere and you know our our cast <laughs> Q &A yeah. is going to be you know uh you know there's 
you know, where there's like fans in Mexico and in the UK and, you know, in Brazil who bought their tickets and are going to be able to ask questions to, you know, Danny Trejo and Sabrina Carpenter. And it, that's really exciting. And it feels like, you know, a, a different kind of release, but also a, a wider release, technically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's something that you wouldn't be able to do in any version of the past. No, can't yeah. fit, you know. So that's something that hopefully we, we, we bake into whatever comes next. How do you, you, you said something about those, you know, 14 hour days, like, you know, you were, you have a production company by Cephaly Films and, and you're the writer director. This is your, this is your, you know, this is your baby. How do you include those criticisms, those, you know, those changes that, that, that you're referencing how were you thinking about them when making your film that, that you were, you know, traveling around? It's, it's a road movie. What was, how do you, how do you shoot a film? How do you integrate those kinds of constructive movements into your production process? Um, I think a lot of it is, is sort of being um, not tied to this sort of like hierarchical idea of, of, you know, filmmaking where you have this idea of like, you know, there's these decision makers at the top and then you sort of trickle it down. Like our, you know, we had a 45 uh, person crew in New Mexico and like everybody was so involved in the process in this way that was really, um, you know, it was like, it was, sort of beyond this idea of like, you know, being open and collaborative. It was like, you know, our second AD, uh, you know, we were looking for the location for, for Cheryl's apartment and, you know, we were location scouting, we were coming up shore and he was like, oh, like my girlfriend's apartment would actually be perfect. And that's what we wound up using. Like everyone was sort of, you know, our, our costume designer, you know, would, would bring in clothes like from her own personal wardrobe. Um, and, you know, everyone was, really invested in a way that made it feel personal and and people you know were committed because they also had that um the authority to do it you know and it wasn't you know this sort of idea of like oh we're delegating these things it was sort of like okay like may the best idea win and like th these are the things we're looking for and whoever can bring it to the table like please like come forward cool um so that was and it was just a really nice way of working, especially because in New Mexico, part of the tax incentive, um, they'll cover uh, local salaries if um, people get bumped up for the first time to department head. And so uh -oh. it's great because, you know, people are getting these titles that they haven't had in the past. Um, and so they also want to- That's really smart. Kind of it's wonderful and it was you know it was, yeah. you know our production designer you know had been working in film forever you know but as an art director and got to be you know production designing you know our prop master same you know a, a lot of different people um you know were really invested in the movie both sort of like personally for themselves and for the story so you were fundamentally because I, I wasn't sure if this was a movie that you kind of 
roamed around or so you, you fundamentally you were in one place and because 45 people you can't do company moves you know with 45 people oh we were you doing do company like, moves left and right we were well we ended up so so we shot for 20 was days was it all local yeah so how, yeah tell me, it was yeah. all within like a two-hour radius of albuquerque okay. except for the last day which was the last scene which was like a four-hour drive um so, okay. but then you know that's we still had, totally reasonable yeah yeah, it worked out. We had 76 locations. And so there there was a lot of, you know, we were just kind of constantly on the move. But, um, but we ran a pretty tight ship. We, you know, finished every day, you know, I had Made a schedule. Like, days, I think, yeah. you know, it was, <laughs> it, you know, it was very sort of like, uh, you know, reasonable hours especially because a lot of the time I mean Kaylin who shot the movie who's also one of the producers I'm one of the producers um you know we we were sort of so kind of all hands on deck and in, in how we work that it's we're very efficient um so and I'd also I mean I'd been writing the script for four years at that point um and Kaylin because we have our production company together yeah uh you know and we had had so many false starts that by the time we were shooting we were just like so off to the races so what's your what's your prep like camera wise blocking wise you know are you finding it on the day or are you, are you going there ahead of time do you know are you, are you living in your location are you do you know what lens you're showing up with and or are you just feeling it you know what, what kind of director are you in that sense uh, and how, little, how involved is Kaylin? both Kaylin is wildly involved yeah. um i imagine you know as as the dp and producer uh we did pretty extensive location scouting and then i would rewrite um parts of the script based on locations we'd find and so there so there was a lot of sort of like back and forth on that and then um a lot of we had a shot list that then would get sort of updated the night before um and it was sort of a like we just kind of we have such a shorthand too that if anything like we need to remind ourselves on shoot to like say things out loud because so the rest of the people know yeah. yeah um and just a huge shout out to our ad Artie. Carlson who just was like the you know um was just so you know such a great communicator and really kind of was able to keep keep things moving um and I think that's something that Artie's style is it stress is it raised voice is it quiet is it psychological what's what's the AD style what's his style no his style honestly is is just really kind of like rallying the troops like he has such a great positive energy and there's a lot of um communication like I think a lot of it was just like really you know having spending so much time in prep together really combing through the script like oversharing you know what's going on you know what are we seeing uh and and so there so there isn't this sense of like I've I've shadowed on other on you know bigger productions I started out working out as a 
director's assistant and in the art department for like huge studio movies. And there was so much of sort of like having to like have like a plan B and kind of like over, just have like way too much backup on stuff because you're not sure on the day like, oh, are they gonna, you know, are they gonna turn the camera around? So we're gonna need to see this entire side and we should probably have like five times as many extras because like just in case you never know and all of that stuff is like so excessive um, and it never makes it on screen. And so being able to have like a super clear idea of what we'll need and, and it just ends up making everybody else's job so much easier. And and we had our editor on set too, which was great. Ron oh, Doolin, awesome. who's wow. just such a killer. Uh, and that was something that I learned on my first feature of just like, if you have your editor on set as you're shooting, then they can be cutting um, as you go. And so basically by the time you wrap, you have a rough cut. And in our case, it was great because um, we ended up applying to the Sundance editing lab. And normally you're supposed to send a director's cut, but we were like a week into shooting at that point. So we basically just mm -hmm. sent like a hodgepodge of scenes, but we never could have done that um, if Ron hadn't been there. And it was a great way to then see as we were going, because we all lived together too. So I could pop in to his sort of edit room and great. he'd be like, oh, okay, this is, you know, this is how the scene is coming together and be like, oh, actually it'd be good to get, you know, an insert of this and we can just do this pickup you know, roll it into the next day. And it's not all of a sudden like, oh no, you know, it's been months and now we have to reshoot yeah. this thing and everyone's kind of been scattered to the wind. So, so yeah, I feel like, you know, having just people who really get what you're trying to do and who are just really game to put in the work ends up making everybody's life much easier in the long run. Love it. Yeah. But it's a lot great. of moving parts. I can only imagine. I mean, you had so many that's or I don't know. I don't I don't, I don't know about the number wise, but it seems like you were moving a lot. The the movies all over the place. You know, there's very few repeated locations. There's there's the garage, but like I don't know, everything else kinda you have chapters, I guess. And it moves a lot. Yeah. A and lot that of was... setups the scheduling was really around the actors. So we, so it kind of felt like we were sh shooting like four short films back to back in a way. Cause it was sort of like, we had like the first week, um, you know, we had like one week with Danny Trejo, one week with Maggie Siff, one week with Steven Ogg, one week with Rusty Schwimmer. Um, but then, and obviously Sabrina was there the, the whole way through, but it's sort of like each week had its own flavor in a way. Right. Um, and, but then we all lived together, which we, we had this like compound. I, f I found this, like, uh, it's like off, uh, campus housing for Albuquerque oh, yeah. students. <laughs> nice. Um, and so we rented, um, like four of these houses. And so it was great. Cause we had our production office right there, our edit suite, you know, the, the, our whole crew was local but it was, you know, me and Kaylin and our producers and then our cast had its own house. And so we could all be together, you know, and have dinners together and squeeze in rehearsals and, and do stuff that we couldn't necessarily have done if we hadn't all just been on location. 
So where does, I was, I've been talking a lot about this, about kind of the last few years with quotas at film festivals, and there's been similar kinds of quotas, like diversity quotas, that I think at Sundance, it's worked remarkably well. And other places have ignored it. Other places have made sort of pledges to attempt, but not necessarily completed anything like that. But, and, and, you know, how, how do you think these, I guess the first chapter of this was, you know, adding females to director's chairs and to key positions. And now it's going to, now we're going to definitely get those initiatives around race and everything else. Have, how have you seen the last few years going in the film industry for diversity? Um, it's tough. I think it's been a lot of conversations that make people feel like it's been solved because there's been a lot of talk around it. But I think mm-hmm. the numbers clearly show that, you know, they haven't, they haven't gone up. And so you're kind of in a bind because it's like everyone's, talked about it for so long every you know it it feels like you know uh, a conversation that's been had but because there hasn't actually been any real results like percentage wise um you know it, like it hasn't changed is is the the reality of it um i hope it does i think it will eventually um I think a lot of decision makers have a sense of, you know, oh, this is something that like needs to be addressed and I need to sort of talk about it. But, you know, a- actions speak louder than words. And yeah, what do the we do? How do we there. convert that? And, um, sorry, is this really loud? I think I can close the window. Can you hear this? I hear something, but it's not, I hear you perfectly fine anyway. It's a chainsaw season in Brooklyn. <laughs> um, my neighbor's been sawing down this tree. Oh my like, God. That's very haphazardly. That's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I had construction upstairs just now earlier today. And I was like, I was, I was like worried that they were going to be doing it right now. And thankfully they're not. So it's yeah. quiet here. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's tough. I think it's, yeah, I think it's changing way too slowly. And, uh, yeah. What do you want? And, what do you want to see? A, what do you think people need to do? And I think it's complicated because I think a lot of it, you know, a, a lot of the, the conversations around it are, you know, oh, like, you know, keep doing the work, keep showing up, you know, mm-hmm. keep, um, which, you know, obviously that's what we're doing because what else would we do? Like we're filmmakers, um, but in a way it's sort of like, it's not, um, yeah, I think it's, it's you know, people who, who have the green lighting power um, and financiers and production companies and, and studio heads who can really make those calls at the end of the day. Um, and I think there's a lot of the times a sense of like, oh, you know, you know, one person was able, you know, it's 
you know, uh, we get one Patty Jenkins big, and yeah, the Avery right, I was like, going to okay, say, like, we get Wonder Woman. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, you know, you get one and it's like, okay, great. We fixed it. Like, isn't that enough? Yeah. Like one is plenty. And it's sort of like, you're, you're kind of missing the forest for the trees. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it'll take the time that it takes, I guess, or, or the industry will just, you know, die of its own, you know, <laughs> like, like, people I think it's, it's so disconnected from market. what people yeah. actually want. Right. Um, so yeah, I don't know. And it's anybody's guess now that, you know, no one's shooting anything. Iceland's shooting. That's uh, cool. Iceland's, will we'll have a bunch of amazing Icelandic films coming. They're back up. But, um, I think a lot of it is that, you know, we get all of these, the, the, like the reaction to a Me Too movement is films about the Me Too movement, effectively. It's not just more, like, like your film has nothing to do with any of this. You're just a person who made a film and it's about whatever it's about. You're not like a female filmmaker making movies about, you know, female causes, like, there's a female lead in the movie, but it's just like, I, I don't think you're doing it as a, uh, you know, I'm not watching this movie as like some feminist. It's, there's no message to it. The message is, is just, it's a story about characters. But I think that a lot of um, our sidesteps come from this reaction of, oh, we need to diversify. So let's make movies about diversity. And th- that's not the point. It's just like, we need female filmmakers making films that they want to that they want to make so i i love seeing an example that you know a film that represents like what would be the the fix to the problem without being like this is about the problem you know i I just it gets so boring when every film is just an article yeah no i'm totally i'm totally with you on that and i think there's something too about the like the limitations of you know, what that then means for, I mean, you know, even, even, even this idea of like, you know, what we think of as success and it's like, oh, you know, each movie needs to be bigger and better and everybody's, you know, you know, the real goal is to, is to you know, make a, like a studio temple, make a Marvel, film. you know, superhero <laughs> movie. And, and that's, you know, this mark of like success and you've made it. And so, you know, the, you know, female filmmakers will have made it when there is like a Wonder Woman. And it's sort of like, is, you know, even that is such a narrow definition. Um, yeah, I agree. I got in trouble um, recently for, for talking some shit on my Instagram about not Patty Jenkins, but someone else who has come from the indie community to the you know big studio films that that uh, we all know and i don't know but uh <laughs> i don't know if we all know and love but this person i was just like trash talking this director who like came from a really like beautiful indie background to to rise and become super famous and just like use the use the fame to leverage just more of the same and like just make themselves a famous person and that was you know a lot of my he's not this person is not putting jobs into the the community that the indie filmmaker it's it's he's not making getting more people more personal stories told it's just he's the one getting the big jobs now and uh, and my friend who's like an incredible 
production designer, female production designer, like you, you know, this person, like she got really mad because she worked for him, I guess, and said he was really nice and all this stuff. And I was like, it wasn't, my criticism was not that I'm mad that this person, you know, got lifted up. I'm super thrilled about that. Like it's just once there, what did he, he do? He made himself into like, you know, a celebrity. That was what he used his access to the machine for, to, you know, become like Sabrina Carpenter with the Instagram followers. Like, but Sabrina Carpenter is getting your movie out into the, she's using her, like, I like the way that she's doing it where yes, she's doing all this famous person stuff, but like, then what is the movie she's starring in? This like super personal story produced by, you know, a, a, a female owned production company with a female writer or female director of photography. Like she's doing that. That's not about being a female, like a powerful woman. It's, it's not, it's not about that. And so I like how Sabrina Carpenter leverages her, whatever it is, however many fucking tens of millions of Instagram followers she has. It's awesome. And I was criticizing someone else who's doing what they're, you know, who's there now and like, doesn't, I, like, we're not getting any, any transcendent art from this person. We're just getting, this is the person making those movies now. But people get mad at me when I, when I say that, because they think that I'm, that I'm like anti-selling out. It's like that, but it's, it's not, it's like sell up and do all that shit. I don't care, but like do something with it, you know? Yeah, I think it's better art. sort of like you get, you, you know, I think there's also this idea of like what you, what works. It's, it's like a failure of imagination in a lot of ways where it's yeah, sort of totally. like, you know, this, this, this does well. And so we're going to keep turning this out. And it's like, well, is it actually doing well? Or is this the only thing that's available? It's just, um, and are you giving people, condensed. you know, it's so, um, and it, and I don't think, I mean, and honestly, I don't even, I'm, I feel like I'm just starting to dip my toes into this whole other world of like distribution and access. And, you right. know, it's, it's one thing to make the movie, but really, the games about getting it out and getting it seen and getting it um you know spread and so it's tough because you know there are only so many slots yeah per week and you know and only so many screens um and even right now with this sense of like oh you know these streamers and there's this endless library like there is a lack of visibility on like you know what's getting promoted what's getting written about what's getting mm -hmm. reviewed what's you could sell getting... your film for two million dollars but literally no one hears about it and it just like what you know how important how how, how valuable is that to you when you want to make your next film exactly it's tough i have a friend who's a producer who that's like basically thankfully like he gets he'll he'll sell three and one we'll hear about but he sells all of them. And like, I had this like heart to heart with him at Sundance a few years ago. And I was like, I think I DJed their like the after party and he had sold the film and he like, wasn't telling anyone yet. And, and I was like, are we, is anyone going to know? Like, and he's like, probably not to be honest, it's going to just be on there. That streaming service that we sell every movie to basically. And like, but we're going to use that money to make three more movies. And I was like, all right, I guess. Cool. 
Like it's tough. Like I'm not, I, I would want that if I were at, and I, he's like, he's like, would you do it differently? And I'm like, no, like, I hope you produce my movie, you know, like, <laughs> but it's just, it's a weird conundrum. Yeah. How, how are yeah. you leveraging? Cause you sit in this with your, you know, your star is that you, you have a, a big star in this role that is entirely different from the rest of her career. How do you approach that leverage it? How do you resist the, you know, the noise and, and make it lift your film? As far as getting it out or getting, I don't know, just or, or in general, I guess. Well, no, you like, well, sure. We could talk about how you got her on board, but I'm more thinking about right now. Like you have a, you have someone with a huge audience who anything that she wants to go broadcast people see. And yeah, just like, how are you working that into your your distribution strategy right now of getting eyeballs on it? Because that, that's a huge, you know, it's a huge, huge yeah, thing. Yeah, I think it's, <laughs> it's complicated because she's somebody who, you know, I mean, the casting process was very much like, uh, whatever, we can get into that later. But, um, but when Sabrina auditioned, um, and, you know, when we first met and first started talking, like, I had no idea who she was. Um, oh, wow. And so... Also, it just came through casting director. No, so we actually, so we didn't um, have a casting director. We, we ended up kind of going about it in this way that... Um, basically, there, were, it, there was, like, a, you know, a sort of a year and a half process of, you know, kind of, like, playing by the rules, sending in offer letters to you know, big agencies and kind of waiting to hear back. And then meanwhile, we had a so casting annoying that director. that's the rules, just like. And it's so ineffective. It's wasting everybody's yeah. time, you know. There's this narrative actors. that people put out that it's like protective and it's efficient and it makes, you know, it, um, I have the same thing like as a, like I'm, I'm, I have a life as a DJ also and I've booked festivals and pr produced events and stuff and agents always want to be the one to get the offer. Same thing. I experienced the same thing as a filmmaker as I do as a, as a DJ and producer, event producer, whatever, where like I know these people directly or I can just like they care about me a lot more than they care about like because we talk about art, you know, and then the agent will like hear about it after and get mad at me. And like, want to, you know, want to ask for more money. And I'm like, your client already agreed to this. And I'm just like, you just want more money because you're going to now get a percentage as opposed to if it went direct that you don't get anything. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's yeah. complicated too. Cause it's like, artists you're here as this indie movie and you're like, this isn't, you know, there isn't a big paycheck um, in it. So there's obviously no incentive to, you know, get it in front of people. So that, that was sort of, you know, was just, um, a lot of messages. But it expands Sabrina's artistic life in a huge way. And she really had to fight for the part too. I mean, you know, after, uh, after the role, you know, she like, you know, she was part of the Disney machine for a long time. Mm -hmm. Now she's, you know, international pop star. Um, but in real life, she's much closer to, you know, uh, the, the role that she plays in the film than the sort of like the glammed up Instagram version that you know most people see and, and yes, know so tell me as. about the discovery of that for you um so so the way we ended up going about it was I was basically like I just you know because even auditioning is such a 
weird process because actors will just get, you know, the sides that are just like a scene plucked from the movie. They have no context. Um, and especially in this movie where, you know, Nola is in every single scene of the entire movie. Um, from the jump, it was, it was so apparent that, you know, this movie was going to live or die on the shoulders of whoever played her. Sure. Um, and, and there isn't a ton of dialogue in the movie. So even, you know, seeing somebody on tape um, with no context, with just a, you know, random scene plucked from the movie, like wasn't giving me enough information, you know, as far as, you know, could this person actually carry an entire movie? Um, and so basically it just got to the point where it was like, okay, I'm just going to make lists of actors that I like, um, you know, from the different agencies and, uh, it's not going to be offer only. Um, but you know, they have to, they're, but there also will be an audition. Anyone. So I just want to fill in oh, like yeah. what, what she means by that is that when you send it, the agent will not tell their client about it unless their client can have the part unequivocally. So they will, they will make you, they won't, let the client read the script unless they're telling the client this is a role this is how much money it's offered and it is yours if you want it so you don't get to like get to know this person you don't get to vibe with them you don't get to hear their feedback on the script you don't get to drink tea together you just have to offer it blindly and say you have enough followers on instagram or you were in this other film already so therefore you are at this quality this level of clout that i'm making an, a blind offer and the agent will not respond to you unless you give them that. Um, and so, no, I mean, that's exactly what it is. And it's, or, and then the, the other I'm telling a much more hardcore version of it than you probably would is a more friendly, like, and no, I'm, I'm I mean, that's basically what it is. Yeah. And it's, and it's that, or the alternative is the casting director who puts out this wide call and you get yeah. to review, you know, a zillion tapes um, of, you know, and either it's like the actor is self-taped or they've kind of come into this room and you're just seeing the same scene, you know, 200 times yeah. and you're supposed to, you know, make a call based on that. Um, so both methods are wildly ineffective. So instead I was basically like, let's scrap all of this. Um, you know, these are the actors I'm interested in, you know, going through their representation. Like this isn't offer only, um, but there also isn't an audition. So like all I want to do is get coffee with them they need to have read the whole script, but then we're literally just yeah. gonna have a conversation. Um, and uh, and so I ended up meeting with 30 uh, women who, and it was like a total range of like, you know, some had been like acting their whole lives. Some, you know, were musicians who had representation. Um, some had been you know, in kind of smaller roles, some had only, so, so it was like a total mix. And then of the 30, and it was great because I could just be like, what did you think of the script? Like, do you like this? Do you see yourself in this character? You know, what do you like? What do you don't like? Is there anything, you know, personally that happened to you in your life that like you could bring that experience into this role? And it was great to just get to meet so many people face to face. And then of those 30, you know, then I kind of narrowed it down to the top six. And then that was sort of like our callback. But it was really like the first time they were auditioning. But then I just had a couple friends who were actors 
who came in and they, all of them had to do two scenes that I chose, but then there was one third scene that they would pick and it could be any scene of the movie. Cool. And so it was, and it was great. And it was this really awesome way to get to see, you know, how they were with improv, how they were with direction, how, um, you know, how they reacted, you know, are they rolling with the punches? Are they coming up with their own stuff? You know, are they, do they have sort of like a narrow range? And then from that sort of like Sabrina emerged victorious. What was your moment um, or her moment? Um, I, I felt like she, she has this quality that is, this is not a technical film term at all, but she has this <laughs> like transparency um, where it's like she can just say so much you can just read so much on her face without her having to say a word that is a really um rare quality where she just has um this very because it's it's like beyond expressive um because she really isn't doing a whole lot but um you just feel so much for her and you and I mean for me it's like that's like what like like star power is like actually like you just she's so magnetic um and you know and this is like you know totally stripped down you know no makeup she dyed her hair for the movie she you know stopped shaving her yeah armpit, I wanted to ask her what legs the, for three months. Uh, like the hair makeup situation because the hair was so distinct like where was was that her was that you was that where did the hair come into it because the hair the is super hair... it's a character in the film it's like <laughs> <laughs> I love that she um yeah she she dyed it for the part um she was just she was like so so game the makeup was literally like chapstick yeah. um and she was just so on board and just totally dove in but it was definitely like both of us had to fight for her like I had to like convince my producers she had to convince to her, let her team. hair be like that just to let her have the part period oh wow you know oh, really? um yeah like the whole thing was so definitely... your producers weren't like and don't say any you know don't talk out of school or anything but like your producers weren't like psyched about because the way that i see it is like a producer you know would want this famous person and the director might be like well is this famous person really going to do a good job it's usually so you had the inverse you were like this well, person we were talking with a lot of famous people so okay. it's, you know it was but 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 you know the the tricky thing with sabrina is that you know she has this like rabid fan base right yeah huge um but i didn't know her mm -hmm. you know like the, there is this sort of and I, mean, I personally, like, I know that she's a famous person, but like, I've never seen her show or anything. This is the first substantial role I've ever seen her in. I'm only aware of her as a, yes, I know those two words fit together and people are aware of Sabrina Carpenter. Yes. <laughs> and that's what's complicated when you're sort of like, you know, th this idea of like, you know, like fame and visibility and like, you know, like what, um, and what that means tangibly. And even, you know, even after the movie premiered and, you know, people were like, oh my God, you know, you know, the performance of your lead is so amazing. Like, where did you find her? And I was like, I'm not like Christopher <laughs> Columbusing, yeah, Sabrina Carpenter. Like right. she, um, you know, was already very well known, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was a total leap of faith on both of our parts, you know, um, because I think, you know, people get put into these boxes 
so quickly. And I think there is this label of, you know, Disney star, there's this label of, you know, pop star that, you know, there is like a, like a indie film, you know, snobbery yeah, yeah. of being like, oh, well, you know, and, and, and that's why the sort of the audition process was so important for me to be able to be like, I know she can do this and I'll go to bat for her because like, you know, I've, I've actually spent time with her in a way that, you know, with these offers, you're sort of just like crossing your fingers. Sure. Um, so yeah, we definitely dove in together and she brought so much of herself to the role, which um, was amazing and just like fully embraced you know, I mean, it's like there, you know, we didn't have trailers on set. Like we didn't, you know, I mean, it's, it, we were a pretty lo-fi operation. Um, That's cool. She's down you know, for it, yes. She was super down. You know, she's never been, uh, you know, the lead in a feature um, in this way before. And now she's about to be in two more movies that are coming out. Awesome. Um and yeah, and I think she's just got uh, such a range that um, I think she will have a long and illustrious career ahead of her. Definitely. I want to let you get back to your whatever, either Zen or your promoting of the film that comes out in hours. But I wanted to just ask, because I love like giving other people these narratives, like this is your second feature how did you what if you could map kind of your your path you've done commercials you, you you know how did how did you get here and what were the important moments oh wow i know that there's a huge like i guess more more <laughs> like more more specific like okay i you know went to film school and then i got a then i was an assistant a, a director's assistant and then on the side i was doing commercials and then like like not like you're I, i'm right. not asking for your philosophical that that the is a longer stroke. conversation but yeah basically yeah. like when i was young i didn't see like the, the path was really difficult and and right. it was in i was incapable of finding out from other people unless i knew them personally like i had to go to south by southwest and sundance and like find the director at a bar and ask that director personally. Otherwise, like there's no, you don't find it anywhere. So yeah, I think yeah, like yeah. people listening, like, okay, cool. I want to do what she's doing. Like, what should I do? You know, how, how did you, and it's different every day. Of course, it's different for every person, right. but like, what was your story a little bit? How did you end up um, on your second feature here? I ended up on my second feature here because I started out wanting to be a cinematographer. Okay. Um, at, first and so throughout high school I'd like shoot movies with my friends you know I started a movie club uh I grew up in Paris in a neighborhood that's got a zillion art house movie theaters which um I would like routinely skip school Paris, has to the go. Best. Paris and New York are the only good art house cities left in the world but there are so many amazing art houses in Paris it's great yeah so that that was sort of like my you know that's you know, I fully credit that. Um, and then I moved to the States for college, S did not study film, went to NYU as an African studies major, super, you know, marketable degree right there. 
and then graduated a year early and needed to work and answered a Craigslist ad to be a set dresser on an indie movie, fell into the art department, uh, started working for a production designer on these big studio movies and um, really loved that world, still wanted to be a DP. Uh, then uh, ended up being Wes Anderson's assistant for a little bit because he had moved to Paris and he was a New York assistant um, and then still wanted to be a DP uh, and then applied to film school, went to Prague film school because it was the most affordable program I could find and it was the shortest so it was a year um, and that's where I met Kaylin and we were the only two women in the cinematography track um, and so we sort of right off the bat were like we're either gonna hate that's each other crazy. or wow. we're gonna love yeah. each other <laughs> uh, and then we teamed up and we shot everybody's short together awesome. um, and then by the end of that year I was like Co okay Kaylin's a GPs? Yeah, we were, I mean, essentially Ooh. I would just end up ADing really. Um, okay. And and just essentially just being like, this is, well, like, like essentially it was just me, by the end of the year, I was like, wait, I actually think I'm a director. And everybody was like, yeah, you're actually a director. Um, and Kaylin was like, yeah, you're a director, um, which is great for me because we can't really be two, two DPs aren't gonna get very far. And so we started our production you had this space company. to find that, to explore one oh, another. And like, it's it so, cause it's usually amazing. expensive to do that. You know, it's just time and it's money to learn how to work with another person. That's awesome that you had that intensive, like, just, yeah. Oh, it was like the best year of our collective lives. And we, <laughs> like so many of our friends now, like our closest friends, we met there. And it was very much a program where it's sort of like, you make what you want of it because it's it's very much just like here's a camera you are in the czech republic go to town um and we were we were just like nonstop. um we shot so much stuff and by the end of the year we both we submitted both of our shorts to the can short film corner um, and you needed to put like a production company down in the application. Oh, and serious. so we came up with bicephaly pictures, which is the, the scientific term for two headed. And then they both got in and then we were like, oh, well, I guess now we have a production company. <laughs> and then at the end of the year, we were like, okay, you know, should we stay in Prague? Should we, Kaylin's from Arkansas originally. We were like, you know, should we, we could move to Paris. We could move to Austin. We could, you, you know, we can move to LA. And then we settled on New York because I'd been working in a film there before. And so, yeah, we opened up our shop. We thought it was going to be nights and weekends and then ended up being our full-time job. And we started out doing a lot of music videos at first and branded content. And then that, this sort of music video world um, got us hooked up with Hjaltalen, this Icelandic seven-piece orchestral band. Um, and then that music video idea kind of snowballed into a feature length album video concept that then turned into our first feature days of gray that they ended up creating this original score for so that was our first feature and it was like you know kickstarter and like my sister and like 15 of our friends in a youth hostel in Reykjavik 
and that was our and then we submitted that to festivals and then that's when we were like oh there's actually like an indie film world out there yeah uh and then and then yeah and then we've sort so so we make commercials at this point for the most part commercials and branded content to keep the lights on um which is great because we're basically working together all the time and then we've made these two features and then we've made like 300 commercials at this point wow um, oh my god that's yeah, a lot we work over eight years um okay still a lot um but yeah and so we're sort of like a, a one-stop shop and we do documentaries and web series and all kinds of different commercial broadcast uh branded content what and have narrative you. feature films and you're the feature every films. couple of years including yeah. tomorrow well so, that's so yeah. exciting i'm so excited for you i'm 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 going to follow you. whatever you guys are posting and I'll, I'll, I'll retweet and, and share and make sure I, I support. I'll put this episode up right away. Cause it's like, it's, you know, it's timing and I'll tell people to go watch. Awesome. What, um, what, where do, where should people stream it or whatever? Um, well, depending on when this goes out, you can either go to a drive-in tomorrow, oh, yeah, drive right. Friday, <laughs> June twelfth, um, <laughs> we have the drive-ins listed on our website, shorthistorylongroad.com, um, or you can buy a ticket to our worldwide digital premiere, uh, Monday, June fifteenth, um, and that'll be a screening of the movie, and then there's a Q and A afterwards with Sabrina and Danny Trejo and Maggie Siff and Jay Sean St. John, um, and myself. It's uh, moderated by Bryce Norbitz from the Tribeca Film Institute. Um, so that'll be really fun. And there's a couple different sort of, we have some fun sort of surprises coming there. Great. Uh, so if you buy your ticket, it's through a platform called Gather. Um, but there's ticket info on Instagram. We're at Short History Long Road. And then on Twitter, we're at Road Film. Um, and we have a Facebook page too. And then on Tuesday, it'll be available on digital and on demand. And you can buy the Blu-ray. It'll be ready <laughs> June 30th. I just saw the that Blu -ray, today. Wow. So okay. that uh, was exciting. Yep. Buy your DVD. You can put um, it on your shelf and show everybody when they come over to your house to visit. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. We just launched our merch store. You can buy a hat, you can buy a t-shirt. Damn. That's everything. That'll be a fun day when like in the vertical, you know, and like like rappers, we have the collection that comes out for the drop. Yeah, that'll be great. Well, Ani, thank you so much for doing this. Congratulations. Thank you. Film. I'm very excited to see how it all rolls out and yeah i'm um i appreciate you coming on awesome thank you thank too on you your story take care you have a great week stay safe Thanks. yeah <laughs> bye